Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, guess what time of month it is? That's right. When we get to the beginning, the first Saturday of each month, we try to bring you some really great information and is via the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And of course, my panelists, Romana King and Greg Bennell are going to be joining me in a little while. You don't want to miss this conversation. I haven't had them on since the Liberal government decided to throw out a budget. Is it good? Is it bad? Well, you know my take on it, but I'd rather get those two experts to weigh in on it. Also, what's going on out west in the Vancouver, BC area? Are the reports true? Is their market really going down as much as it is? And of course, we got to talk about the GTA. So our two guests in a little while, um, again, great conversation, lots of fun, and you don't want to miss out on that. But I may as well talk about what's going on in the real estate market. And before I do, don't forget, coming up Thursday, April the 25th at 7 p.m., we've got our next Simple seminar and uh, I always uh, you know I always want to thank everybody for attending these these meetings and uh, so much great feedback on what's going on in the real estate market and people you know be getting a great takeaway on how to be a real estate investor that's uh, so one of the things that we try to focus on here at simply real estate and at the simple investor we want to focus on making sure everybody gets a great education you know real estate so many avenues you can take and uh, we're just gonna break it down for you and so make sure you go to the simpleinvestor.com to register make sure you show up because you don't want to miss this uh, lots of content lots of uh, you know great camaraderie talking to other people that are going to be investors and uh, you know find out a little bit from other people's experiences about what's going on in the real market what's going on out there and so uh, again don't miss out but uh, let's talk about what is happening in the real estate market right now so numbers are in for March not looking great, but not looking bad. You know, it's one of those seesaw battles right now. Year over year numbers, the actual number of transactions were just off by one unit in the GTA. I know when you start looking at the numbers, you would think, okay, you know, one unit, is that really going to make much of a difference? Not really. You know, this year, right now, at the end of March, 7,187 homes sold in March. Last year, 7,188. <laughs> so really, I, I mean, that's a neutral market. But uh, prices, again, floating around very, very similar numbers. So we're not seeing a huge uptick, 0.5%. Uh, so again, you know, I think that we have to take a look at this year, 20, 2019, is going to almost be, uh, you know, a repeat of 2018, which does not bode well for the numbers overall. The GTA only kicked out 77,000 sales approximately last year and this is what is putting some of the banks on notice because you know they're missing new business and so what's happening is we're seeing a lot more aggressiveness in the lenders in fact listening to some of the economists out there uh, we could soon be looking at five-year rates going below three percent again that's right I know everybody got that scare last fall when the Bank of Canada was pushing the rates and all of a sudden everybody started doing some renewals around three seven almost four percent for a five-year fixed you never know we could be looking in the next 60 days I had a 299 rate um, for all of the bank presidents that are listening hey do you want to be the first one make sure you hop on the bandwagon get ahead of everybody get that 299 out rate out there as soon as you can but um, 
Speaking of the market, of course, Vancouver really off right now. In fact, they're saying that the market is back down to uh, 1986 levels as far as volume. And again, not prices. Well, we always talk about volume, but they're they're really off out in Vancouver. And again, Toronto is kind of staying the course at a neutral market. But one of the uh, one of the interesting things is there's still some markets in the GTA that are doing well. Brampton is starting to come alive. Uh, interesting to see that. And uh, if you're if you're out in Mississauga, what are the things if you're going by the square one area, take a look up in the sky. We've got some new cranes there. And just to give you an idea what's going on with the M City site, of course, that is from the Rogers Real Estate Development Group and Urban Capital Property. They are uh, they're starting the first of many phases and it's a pair of 60 story buildings and interestingly enough um, they're going to have 10 of them so Mississauga is looking at some huge growth but they're uh, the biggest building that they're going to put up is coming in at 77 stories so that's a big one that's going to really stand out in the in the skyline of Mississauga and so they have started ground is dug they've got the cranes in the air and we're going to start seeing more development and, and of course when we talk about the GTA we talk about Toronto you know you can't you can't actually even I don't know, uh, throw a snowball without hitting a crane right now in downtown Toronto. In fact, um, right now, we are considered to be the biggest building city in the world right now as far as developments go. There are more cranes in the sky in Toronto than any other city in the world. And not surprising, you know, because of the demand that is required right now. But uh, if you're thinking that you're going to hop on board with some of the liberal advantages, um, like I said, make sure you tune in or stay tuned in for the entire show because I'm going to have Greg and Romana uh, talk about what is going on with the incentives that is happening in the marketplace for them. Now, if we take a look at what else is going on, of course, we're looking at um, some new tweaks to uh, to the days on market. So talking about TREB, the Toronto Real Estate Board uh, has turned around and realized uh, or have brought forward the fact that days on market, that is uh, a little number that when you list your property on the MLS, what can happen is it will tell you from the time it started the listing. So a lot of people in realtors will turn around and say, you know, hey, this property has been on the market for X number of days. If it starts going stale, what can happen is they can do a cancellation relist. So that means that, uh, you know, you may have your agent come to you when you're listed and say, hey, listen, you know what? It's been on the market for 45 days. Most people, when looking at something that's been on the market for a long period of time, will turn around and say, hey, we need a refresh on this because, you know, maybe people have forgotten about it. You know, it's not coming up on the hot sheets. People aren't looking at it the same way. You know, 45 days on the market. What's wrong with it? Normally, they immediately go to price and say, must be overpriced if it's been on the market for 45 days. So one of the things that happens Happen. and this is this is not new folks this has been happening forever but um, one of the things that would happen is an agent would sit there and say okay if we don't sell within the first three or four weeks we're going to do a cancellation and we're going to do a relist on it so it comes up fresh looks like a new listing now again with the way the internet works and all the reporting this is this is not really you know it's not fooling anybody because you can easily do the history on a property but because you can't go backwards as much with mls.ca then it makes it sound like a new listing so you might not have seen it a month ago when it came up fresh but today it does so you're going to look at it and say to your realtor hey look there's a new listing and the realtor say hey great there's a new listing perfect let's go take a look at it oh new new listing but the truth is it could have a history to 
to it. Or it could have had another agent list it, and now it started fresh with a new agent. So always keep this in mind that when you are doing any kind of negotiation, ask your realtor, and, and, and they will tell you, but hopefully they've done their homework, but ask your realtor, has this property been on the market before? You know, it seems like a nice property. Why hasn't it sold? And you can drill it down and figure out, you know, was there price changes? Look at the history of what has happened with the listing, because that is so important that you know that perhaps there was a reason for it not selling, perhaps a different agent, or just the fact that they just want to keep popping it up until it does sell. And days on market, by the way, obviously it's increased. The market is not the same as, as it was a few uh, few years ago. If you remember back in uh, 2016, 2017, we were reporting basically, you know, if you listed a property, it would say days on market when it finally sold, it would say seven or eight days. And that was normally because people would put in the listing that they were holding offers to a certain day. But you can be sure with the multiple offers that were floating around, the house would sell that day that they were allowing the actual offer. Now, when you when you look at it, if there was a perception where it had been on the market for 14 days and sold, maybe they had that much of a delay. Uh, most of them were normally negotiating in around seven days. So when we take a look at today's market, when we start seeing, you know, the average days on market creep up, we're at 38, we're at 45, depending on the marketplace, up to 60 in some marketplaces, depending on what kind of stretch people are doing for price. You know, that is what we can consider a normalized market. So when we talk about normal markets, it means that you know it had the right amount of time to be marketed, the right number of people that could come in, negotiate, you know, do their do their conditions, conditional on financing, conditional on inspection, of course. And so this is a normalized transaction. I'm I'm actually, you know, people ask me all the time, hey Todd, you know, should we go back to that craziness of 2016? I hope we never get there. Uh, you know, that was not a secure market. There, people were making mistakes. People were taking chances. I don't think that made a lot of sense. And one of the things that, you know, of course, people would do is they would turn around, they get emotionally, you know, caught up. They would turn around, overpay. And at this point, you know, two years after the crazy hype, um, did they overpay? Yeah, in a lot of in a lot of cases, some people have lost some money, and it's going to take a little while for you to gain it back. But of course, you will gain it back as time goes on. And uh, so don't 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 fret if you don't have to sell. You know, hang in there. And uh, we'll see the markets probably start to pick up a little over the next 18 to 24 months, depending on what happens with, you know, rates and the government and their, you know, fantastic stress test. And hopefully that can get uh, get changed around a little. But um other than that, you know what? It's uh, it's weather's changing. You're going to see a lot more open house signs. And keep in mind, one of the important things is if you're going to get your house up on the market, uh, make sure you interview a few agents. Make sure you get it ready. You need to maximize your price. By the way, to, uh, advice to all our buyers: make sure you get your pre-approval. Make sure it's ironclad. You know, don't don't just go online and say, "Oh, they say I can afford this." No, you know what? Get a true pre-approval. Go to your mortgage specialist. Make sure you've got something in writing so you know what you can afford and to all the uh, all the tenants out there that are struggling you know um definitely you know our thoughts are with you because it is getting really really tough you know don't get pushed around you know sometimes you have to wait uh get the right thing if there's a sublet if you know somebody and they're able to sublet you the property that might be your way hopefully we're going to start seeing uh some of the basement apartments get freed up hopefully some of the duplexes will get freed up and if that's the case i think we can see some inventory 
a lot quicker than if we just rely on the government to build it. So again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, coming up after the break, we've got our real estate talk triangle. Apparently it's a real hit. Uh, I know that I'm a real fan of my two guests that join me each month. It's Romana King, Greg Bennell. So when we come back, we've got more and uh, don't miss it. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So guess what time of month it is? You got it. It is time for the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And joining me on the panel this week is returning panelist Romana King. She is director of content for Zolo. And we have Greg Bennell. He is from BNM Bloomberg, host of The Real Economy. And uh, welcome back, the two of you. Always great to be here. When you paused after you said the talk triangle, I was expecting to like dramatic dun dun dun. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, we're working on it. We're trying to give we're trying to give everybody that little anticipation, you know, that just that little that little pause. So, uh, and how are you, Romana? I'm great. You know, it's uh, things are not looking super robust in real estate, but they're not looking bleak anymore. So uh, I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know what? Lots to talk about. Obviously, before before we venture into each other's market, how about we talk about something that you know we 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 haven't had a chat um, you know since the March nineteenth budget introduced by the uh, you know federal liberals, and uh, I just want to get uh, each of your take on it. So, Ramon, I'm going to start with you. You know, uh, I I I know you know everybody wants to give Mr. Trudeau a group hug and you know all sorts of wonderful things that are going on, but what did you think of the impact that uh, what they were offering up as some incentives i mean it's it's a they're trying to figure out a way to help those first-time buyers get in the market without tweaking any of the most recent regulations i think it's a good attempt um you know i, I think in part it kind of got lost and i wonder if it's going to have a bit of a fizzle and fade effect i know that bc tried the same approach when they said you know here's Here's an interest-free loan for five years where you can top up your down payment uh, and you don't have to pay anything for five years or you just pay the interest for five years. And they estimated 30,000 people would get on board. I don't even think 1,000 people applied to that. So, I mean, I don't think people are going to scoff at, a, at any federal help to get into the housing market. But uh, at the same time, I think it's just kind of like helping the, the, the voter vote liberal at the next election sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I I I I I am going to tear it down, but Greg, what about you? What did you see there? I think the interesting thing and they don't have it completely flushed out yet to the fine details. I know some yeah. people in the industry have been grappling with that, but I did have a chance. I was in Ottawa for the uh the federal budget, so I interviewed the finance minister <laughs> afterward, and I was saying, "So what is it exactly? Are you is are you just going to give the money and you want it back at some later date?" And he said, "Well, you know, it is a shared equity mortgage, so there would be some participation in the equity. Now, I didn't lay that out, but the suggestion there is if you get into the real estate market with the help of the CMHC and the federal government, you get, you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars from them. If your house goes up in value, they want a piece of that action. So I wonder what Romano was saying about people not biting. I wonder you look at that and say, woohoo, free money. It's like, no, wait a minute. If, mm. if things go the way you hope they do in the real estate market, if you're buying, when it comes time to sell, they want more than their twenty grand back. They want they want a piece of the action. So I wonder if that ever gives people pause when they because yeah. they don't want to share. We get greedy about our gains, right? We don't want to share them. It almost it almost feels like the federal government wants to be an investor in your your home purchase, right? <laughs> no, actually, you know what? Here here here's here's my take on it because you know um, I had a lot of interviews that I had to do with this one, and I got to tell you this: this is this is was my and and I'm probably going to be that you know naysayer of this whole thing, but first and foremost, it, it was they they talked about mortgage, but they actually talked 
talked about ownership. So titled ownership, they're going to be registered on title. So can you imagine somebody else on title with you? Okay, so there you are. You're, you are, you know, Jack and Jane Doe and CMHC. So there, there's the first thing. So then I, I, I wanted to kind of pose a couple of questions. And one of it is, is that, you know how when properties go up, some people decide that they need to have a home line of credit. Are you going to have to get permission from them to put a home line of credit on your own equity that you've grown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always have to think about CMHC and what they truly are. So they are mortgage insurers, you know, and that's what that, that is where their, their bread and butter is made. So here's the thing. So let's say we all pony up 5%. We're going to use CMHC. CMHC fee for 5% down is four and a half percent. So the majority shareholder in the property, as far as equity goes, is starts off as CMHC themselves. So I mean, does any is, did anybody lose this part of the the plot here? Oh yeah, and the math they laid out in the budget, even though it's sort of rudimentary of the plan. If you're getting into a new build, then you only have to put down five, and they'll show up with ten. So yeah, already the CMHC is ahead of you in terms of the equity they hold in the property. I think it's important though. Uh, to note that, and some people will be critical of this, that even though through a shared equity mortgage, the implication is, or it is implied that they will share in the upside, uh, they would have to take their lumps on the downside as well. So is that a risk that Canadians say, well, that's but, a good idea. If the market softens or falls, then the CMHC is going to be uh, sharing in that loss as well. But Greg, are they really... Point, Greg, that's a very yeah. good point, because a lot of the regulations, uh, you know, in the last few years, the, the sole purpose of that was to try and minimize the risk to Canadians, because we did... The federal government was said and was true was taking on more risk in the market uh, with CMHC loans and and just having too much invest in the real estate market. Well, if they were going to do these actions where they have even more stake in it, what kind of regulations are they going to see if the market gets really hot again? So I, I think there's a, a downside to Canadians for both if the market falls and they they take on risk, and if the market goes up then they're going to have to implement different measures to try and cool the market. And I, I just don't like that. I feel, it feels like too much government tink tinkering in, in, a, in a market economy there. Okay, so then if we if we take a look at that, uh, Romana, and, and that's a great point, but how about this? So they don't want to do this until just before the election, okay? So it's, it doesn't get released till September. So we're throwing, we're, we're, we're throwing that out just for, for fun. And then second of all, when we, when we take a look at the big picture, when they start talking about 10%, so that's only on new construction. And last time I checked, when you go under contract for new construction, you don't close for three to five years. Mm -hmm. So you know what I'm saying? So they're actually sitting there throwing something out that they're probably not even going to be in power when this thing would have to close. And this thing could come off, the like be taken off the rails in a real quick you know, swoop of, of, of another party coming in. So do you know what I mean? Like this, this is almost like a promise that's not ever really going to see its full potential. And so I, I don't think anybody's jumping up and down saying, hey, listen, we're going to gain 10%. Let's go buy brand new. You know, they were trying to say that they're, this is going to motivate builders to build more, pro, you know, more product. But I mean, this thing isn't even going to be introduced until September. It makes me think that they have something else. Heading into the budget, because there's always what you think you might find in the budget when you're getting ready to get into the lockup and you want to you know, make sure you got all your ducks in the row. You go to the housing part like I did in the lockup, and I'm like, oh, well, this is not what we thought, or at least what, mm. what was being called for, because it seemed like the leading contender, or at least what the real estate industry was hopeful that, they would lengthen the amortization for insured mortgages, and that'd be fairly simple. The fact that they did this, and but there's still an election to come, and as Todd points out, that even this measure, the first-time homebuyer incentive, doesn't kick in until September, right before the vote. I'm thinking something else for housing might show up in the platform. And guess what? Not only the housing incentive, but 
if you vote for us again, then maybe we'll lengthen our amortizations or some other lever. <laughs> okay, really, so I mean, to me, it really feels more like a political play, and that it just it's not it's it's not well thought out past the next election. They just want to get in power again, and I think there are major ramifications if this does go into effect, uh, and the market does swing either direction. So yeah, yeah, great point, um, folks. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, though, we're going to have more with Ramana King and Greg Bennell, and you're listening to the Real Estate Talk Triangle right here on News Talk 1010. So we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So if you're just tuning in, you got it. It's that time of month again. We've got the Real Estate Talk Triangle and my guests and panelists, Romana King, Director of Content for Zolo, Greg Bennell from B&M Bloomberg, host of The Real Economy, is joining me as they do each month. And by the way, just for fun, just uh, if you missed our um, our segment uh, just before the break, you may want to go to our SoundCloud account and take a look at it and listen, because guess what? We're tearing apart the liberal budget. And is there something there for you if you're a first-time homebuyer and um, folks you know just before the break we did talk about it it seems you know I'm not gonna call it a Trojan horse horse but you know there's really not a lot inside it other than you know hey look at the flash we're gonna give you a bunch of money and you know when we start tearing it down um, you know maximum income for a family 120,000 so the really the most you're gonna get if you buy brand new construction maybe $40,000 um, I don't I don't really think it moves the needle and I don't think we're gonna see a lot of first-time homebuyers just come running saying let's let's get in the market uh romana you know you've been you know living and breathing real estate basically your entire life when we take a look at it can you can you see all sudden first-time home buyers just you know grabbing this and running with it i think before they dive into it it's going to sound like a great deal but as as greg pointed out you know without without the details fleshed out like what do you mean you're an equity stakeholder in my property without actually understanding what that means it's going to sound great but once we get the details rolled out and if it sounds like you know well you have to ask the government whether or not you can get a home line of credit on your property because now they're on the the, the title all of these details when these details come out it might deter a lot of people if they feel like the government has to be you know phoned and checked to make the, any decisions on their property I don't like the idea of having to buy a home and have the federal government dictate what I can do with that home. I mean, part of the reason why I'm buying is to have a bit of security, right? Yeah. So, Greg, you know, when and and I think, you know, both of you have nailed all the points. Uh, The other incentive that they were throwing out there, of course, is taking a look at people with RRSPs, you know, first time Mm. home buyers, 25K. Let's bring it up to 35K. But, you know, the average the average person uh, when we talk about millennials, first time home buyers. So if we go to the the max age, 38 years of age right now in Canada, almost the highest average is sitting at twenty seven thousand dollars in their RSPs. It's kind of like one of those. You know, hey, look, everybody, you, you can get more, but there's nothing there. Yeah, you wondered too if that's going to move the needle. First, it sounds like, oh, great. You know, two people mm-hmm. now we're up to 70 grand instead of 50. But when I think back, and my wife and I did use that when we bought our first place in 2002, the home buyer's plan, but we couldn't go to the maximum limit because, as you said, we didn't have it. We were mm-hmm. in our early 30s. We'd only been putting money in RSPs for a few years. So while we did use that money for a down payment, I think the down payment on our first place using all the available like funding sources we could was in the like the low 30,000. So yeah, there. It sounded like a sounded like a great thing. Oh, look, you raised the limit. That's fine. Inflation, okay, makes sense, but yeah, how many of these young people, these first-time buyers can actually say, I've got that much money and more already in an RSP? 
And it sounds like they were trying to target the, uh, the the diehard or the the renters that have been renting for ten years but wanted to get into the property property market, and they've been disciplined enough to be saving. But mm-hmm. the problem is, is I think that's a very small percentage of actual renters. I think it's 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 difficult to save, like you've mentioned, um, and it's particularly difficult to save in your RSP when you are still in the workforce in a transient workforce where you've got a lot of you know contracts rather than full-time jobs. So it's, as you said, it sounds good on paper. Um, and I'm sure people will take advantage of it if they can, but that's the big if, right? Yeah. So Romano, you know, one, one of the things I was thinking, and, and, and I'm not sure why they don't do it, but why not not why not work, work with a family um, RSP contribution? For, for example, you know, the parents of these millennials, quite frankly, you know, a lot of them will have more sitting in their RSPs. Why would they not allow them to turn around and say, hey, listen, we'll let you, you know, go to a max of 50000 that you can contribute to your child's property. And again, same terms, pay it back, whatever. But this would open up the floodgates because, A, we're going to have a lot more people, you know, utilize their RSPs for something actually that makes sense. Well, I don't know if you remember, but this was actually one of the promises before the Liberals were elected. They said, listen, we're going to take a look at that RSP and first-time buyer qualification, and we're going to open it up. We're going to say that grandparents can help. We're going to say that parents can help, that divorcees will no longer be considered non-first-time buyers, but they can actually divorce and buy their first home by themselves and be considered a first-time home buyer. So... I don't know why they didn't do that. I think that probably would have been smarter and more strategic. The equity is in a generation that already has their homes. So allow them to to either tap their equity or the savings, because they've been saving all this time, and help the next generation. That would have been smarter, but they didn't do it. They didn't actually even follow through on their, their election promise. I wonder how much pushback there might have been within the finance ministry, because when you think about one of the other things, and it's sort of fallen off the radar, but earlier in the mandate, we kept talking about pension reform and the, and the concern mm. that Canadians weren't saving enough. So that seems to be sort of a loggerheads at odds to say, okay, we, we need to beef up the Canada pension plan. We fear too many seniors don't have enough money to get them through retirement. And then someone on the other side of the desk said, hey, let's let them <laughs> take the money out of their RSPs <laughs> and give it to their kids. I, I wonder if there was a, a clash there somewhere. Yeah, but hang on, Greg. Hang, hang on, Greg. Hey, let's let let's let's take a look at the numbers because you know if if they hadn't put in the stress test, if they hadn't done all this, if they hadn't squashed the real estate market, guess what? Some of these people that are looking at retirement, of course, would have more equity. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like they they're really compressing absolutely everything, um, folks. If you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010. My guests uh, joining me right now are Romana King and uh, Greg Bunnell. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that um, you know, I think that everybody's got to take a look at, though. Uh, and Greg, you know, if if we turn around and did a payback on RSPs from our from our parents, you know, you could shorten it. You could do something, you know, or they've got to have X number of dollars in RSPs to be able to do it. You know, I, I think they could put a limitation on it. But, you know, they keep futzing with everything. And one of the biggest complaints, you know, out in the Toronto Real Estate Board, of course, latest impact, they keep talking about the stress test. Romana, I know that you guys are feeling it out in Vancouver. I know we feel it here in Toronto. They have done nothing to actually mitigate that situation. It makes no. me feel like maybe that they're comfortable with what they've done. Like I, I don't know, but but yeah, you look at, at Vancouver, and we're talking about like you know sales volumes that fell. I think the month of March, what was the metrics like? Nineteen eighty-six. I think the reference I used. If you remember Falco's Rock Me Amadeus, yeah. Vancouver <laughs> hasn't seen a march like this since Falco was in the top of the Billboard charts. Toronto's dead flat, and but they don't seem to be worried about it in Ottawa. So is this what they wanted? Maybe it is. Yeah, Romano, what do you think? I mean, you know, Greg Greg makes a, a great point. Nineteen eighty-six. I remember being in Vancouver in nineteen eighty-six, and I had my Corey Hart son 
sunglasses on, and I thought I looked cool at night. But you know, seriously, um, you know, where, where where are we at with all of this? They wanted they wanted those two markets to to correct. They really did. They they were really worried about it, and we know that because every single time they came out with any, you know, Bank of Canada came out with any report, it was always about housing still poses a concern. Housing still poses a concern. It wasn't housing across Canada. It was Toronto and Vancouver. That's it. So the fact that it's flatlined, I think there are people in, sitting in Ottawa that are very happy. These are the bean counters that really care about whether or not we balance those books and and um, and look okay in terms of risk. You know, is it good for the the buyer? Uh, you know, the the fact that we're now reporting that you know the average home in Vancouver is one point four million rather than one point five or one point six. Sure, it's good for the average home buyer. I, I think that, and I've made this argument before. I think corrections are important in the market because we have cycles; they have to cycle through. So. I think the federal government is happy with the mortgage stress test. I think they are happy with the results, even though there are other markets in Canada that are, you know, crying wolf. Calgary is one of them where they're saying, listen, this has really hurt us. We really need to to consider what's happening here. I don't think their voices are being heard in Ottawa. No, not at all. And and part of this, as as you mentioned, we got to touch about you know the rest of Canada. As much as we all think the world revolves around us here in Toronto or in Vancouver, you know there there's still lots of real estate transactions happening in the rest of Canada. And unfortunately, you know they've really really jeopardized some of these markets to the point where some of them are going backwards at an alarming rate. And so as a whole, despite the fact that two markets are fairly strong, when they start you know, throwing out the stats of Canada, it, you know it's really skewing the numbers at this point. It's interesting, too, when you start talking about those other markets, and uh, lately it's been like, Ottawa's hot, Ottawa's hot, and you actually look at the numbers, like, that's what passes for hot these days? I mean, I, I know that the transactions are up, and the prices are up, but from what I've seen, it's, you know, it's mid-range single digits, so if that's the new definition of hot, then we're definitely talking about a different Canadian real estate market than we were just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And Romano, you know, when, when we, we delve a little into Vancouver, and we're going to talk more about it after the break, but, um, you know, right now, you've got a huge amount of transitions happening in your Vancouver market. Oh, um, you know, we're talking about more transparency. We're talking about, you know, vacancy and, and who's actually um, should be paying more taxes. We're, there's lots of transitions. And I, to be truthful, I think that some of this uh, these changes were well overdue, and that includes, you know, and I'm going to bring up Toronto for a second, that includes uh, includes Treb deciding, you know, we should maybe report days on market a little bit different, or, you know, (laughs) Vancouver deciding that, you know, maybe we should figure out who's actually living in a home and and tax people that aren't. These things should have been done well, well before now. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to go to a quick break, but I definitely want to talk about those two items that you just brought up. So, folks, stay with us. We'll be back with Romana King and Greg Bonello after this. And welcome back. Uh, if you're just tuning in right now, my guests with me, Romana King, Director of Content for Zolo, Greg Bennell, he is from BNN Bloomberg, host of The Real Economy. And of course, this is the Real Estate Talk Triangle right here on Simply Real Estate on News Talk 1010. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. And uh, just before the break, by the way, you can always go to my SoundCloud account. I always forget to tell you that. Um, you know, all you have to do is go to Simply Real Estate right on uh, News Talk 1010's website. But, you know, here, here's the thing. Such great 
great, great content when, when I have Romana and Greg on. So I definitely say if you, if you missed it, if you're just tuning in right now and missed the rest of the show, make sure you go backwards and, and listen to it because it's pretty awesome. Even going forwards and backwards, it sounds pretty good, I think. <laughs> so uh, anyways, folks, so just before the break, Romana, you, you, you touched on a topic that is uh, interesting because we heard a lot about the transparency mm. when, when we talk about people owning corporations. And of course, there was a report that was released in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. And and I did take a little offense to it that they're trying to imply that everybody that owns a corporation or any, every property that's bought in a corporation could be for money laundering purposes. You know, they t- started talking about 50% of all residential properties over $7 million were bought in a corporation. And, you know, my answer is, of course they would be. Why would we risk, you know, that much of an asset if, uh, you know, to, to remove some personal liability? But, you know, you did touch on it saying it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea if, if, and I'm looking primarily at the Vancouver market because we do know that money laundering is occurring in Canada. It's not only in Vancouver and it is in, in Toronto. But you make a really good point. I remember uh, doing a real estate report uh, on you know some of the most expensive neighborhoods in Canada, and we had tremendous difficulty trying to identify who actually owned property in the Brattle Path area because most of them owned it by a corporation because they have assets all over the, around the world. They need to sit down and strategically figure out how to protect themselves. So a lot of them use corporations, and I know many investors use in corporations. And I'm not talking shady investors. I'm talking about you know smart strategic investors that decide that corporations are the best way to go. I think the problem with that is, they're not all, everyone is on the up and up, and that we've had people, especially with you know using bare trusts, where they can remove one owner of a corporation, add another owner, and no tax is paid. No, nothing has actually changed on paper other than the ownership of that bare trust. And and I think there's a problem with that because you start to see shifting of money and shifting of ownership, and there's no real transparency or or, or accountability, and that becomes a problem for Canadians if it becomes an asset like real estate where you've got people investing and you've got people trying to just buy a home. So yes, I think it's needed, uh, but I, I do hear you. I think that we can't paint the entire broad spectrum of every corporation as being a shady character in the, in the real estate market. Yeah, because one what, what of the things that um, you know we do at the Simple Investors, obviously we try to encourage people to own multiple investment properties, and a lot of times some of the advice that can be given by both accountant lawyers and ourselves would be, of course, putting things in a holding company. You know, you're, you're removing the liability, potential liability in the future, and not from a taxation, but more from a, from a risk management. And so, you know, again, a it just seemed like this this report that came out. It just painted everybody with a, this massive broad stroke that if you own something in a corporation, you're you're laundering money. And of course, you know that's not the case. In in most cases, you know there is money laundering going on. But you know BC uh, decided to introduce a law to prevent money laundering. It just seems like BC at this point is the punching bag for new rules and regulations. I mean, you know, somehow somebody just really wants to squash that market. I mean, you guys are just the leaders of taking it on the chin because, you know, you went from 15% to 20% foreign buyer tax. You now have vacancy taxes. Now you have this, this, this. I mean, really, I don't know how much more you guys can take. I think there's an erosion of trust, though. I think what Romano was saying <laughs> earlier, too, though, because there are sure. legitimate reasons to use corporate structures in terms of investments, whether it's real estate or others, and you're not doing anything wrong, you're not doing anything illegal. But it's become so toxic in this country, and because the prices ran up so dramatically in Vancouver, and then Toronto followed suit, and the average people just feel that there's been a lot of dirty pool. 
and mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. Like I, to me, it's it's been incredible to watch this past couple of years and how even the act of being involved in real estate in some people's eyes makes you a villain. When really yeah. it was just sort of like, oh, I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to pay it off at some point and I'm going to raise a family in it. So I think, okay, yeah, that's that's fair game. And now some people actually think that's the like the most evil thing you can do to be involved in real estate. So I think they're they're important. And I agree with Romana. It's important to start taking some of these actions because if we can't restore people's trust in the market and in the system, and there's a lot of trust has been eroded, then where, where do we end up with? Well, we end up with a liberal government. <laughs> I mean, after all, I, I think everybody wants the group hugged by them. And, and you know, Greg, really good point. But at the same time, I mean, we, 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 have, to, we have to stop the bleeding somewhere. And again, I don't think that, you know, foreign buyers and let's say even some of the money laundering, you know, I saw a couple of reports that were saying, you know, Toronto, Toronto prices are up because of money laundering. No, Toronto prices were up because because there was nothing to buy and interest rates were low, you know, think, and, and, and this is part of it. The problem, though, is that there's so many factors involved in, in you know, the, just the pricing of real estate. And we all are trying to find the golden rule as to, you know, if you pull that string, it'll affect the entire market. And, and that's the problem is there's many factors involved. There's money laundering, but there's also speculation. But there's also people trying to get into the market while interest rates are really low. And, you know, there's, there's many different factors. There's investors that realize this is the time to get in if they want to hold it for the next 10, 20 years. There's so many different factors when it comes to pricing real estate. Money laundering is definitely one of them. If, if we're a place in the world where it's really easy to move money behind the scenes, people are going to come here. If we make it very hard for them to do that, they're going to leave. The other factors will remain. But I, I, in this circumstance, I definitely agree with Greg. It's, we need to clean up the perception that you know, it's an uneven playing field for Canadians to be able to buy a home in Canada and to invest wisely in this t- type of asset. And when we clean up that field, it then becomes an asset that is, once again, a very well-positioned asset to have in your portfolio. What's so interesting about it is when you think about the clamping down, what we're really clamping down on is what was illegal already. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. when we see all these things, you say, we need to do this, this, and that. It's like, wait a minute. No one ever said money laundering was a good thing. It's, it's sort of like we didn't have the enforcement or we didn't, we didn't have the structures or the, the resources to actually say, we have always said this was illegal. Why was it even going on in the first place? And, I, and you know the stories better than me, Romana, not even tied to housing, but some of the stuff that uh, your attorney general was saying in Ottawa last year about people going into casinos with hockey bags full of money and nobody blinking an eye. Like, because I just carry hockey bags full of money around with me all the time. Well, <laughs> sorry, Greg, what, 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 um, and what, and what is your what subway? Yeah, I was just going to say, what subway do you take home? You just home so, <laughs> so Romana, when, when we, when we talk about markets, you know, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that obviously BC Vancouver market is, is off. In fact, um, March was a really bad month for you guys. Um, Toronto, of course, uh, not a good month, but not a bad month. We're, we're virtually in a neutral position in the greater Toronto area right now. We're really not going up we're really not going down but you know vancouver's still got a few leaks that it's it's got a plug yeah and i i think a lot of it you've you've heard me say this before i think a lot of it is seasonal and and weather dependent it will really depend on when spring takes off it's only just started in vancouver um and we're late usually our vancouver spring market starts in february and we're now in april we've had a really sort of rainy cold spring which unbeknownst to me, is unusual for Vancouver. Um, 
only being here not even yet three years. I think it sounds it's, it's very balmy compared to Toronto, which had a snowfall <laughs> in April. But it's not. And it's until that spring market really hits, we're not really going to be able to assess how the year is going to go. I, I think it's it's going to be just a very sort of tepid growth, um, and I think that Vancouver it had a, it had much further to fall than than Toronto. Our prices had escalated extraordinarily for again for a variety of factors, um, and it had much further to fall. I think it's fallen. You know, it's it's we're recording. You know, from month to month, we're recording about an eight percent. Uh, decrease in housing prices. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to fall anymore. I think it's just going to be anemic growth. We, we predicted that. Economists predicted that, you know, a couple of years ago. They said, listen, the next decade is going to be anemic growth. They're about two years off, three years off from that prediction starting, and now it started. Yeah, Royal LePage just uh, recently out with its report and basically saying they think things are flat this year. Not not yeah. not crashing, not falling back, but just sort of lying flat, which is sort of surprising for me from a company like Royal LePage, because sometimes, you know, the industry will get accused of talking up its book and say there's never been a better time to buy. But they came <laughs> up and basically said, you know what, given the state of the economy, the economic fears, all the mortgage rules, we don't see things really picking up at all this year. Yeah, and I think I think with the Fed announcing that they're not going to budge, you know, on, on rates, uh, and we've got the Bank of Canada probably following suit. If anything, you know, Greg, you and I talked about this earlier um, amongst ourselves, was the fact that, you know, we're looking at right now variable is probably going to end up eventually being higher than a five-year fixed. I mean, this is this is pretty weird when you start thinking about it. But to me, this is almost like a classic battle for an economist to study, right? Money yeah. money is going to stay cheap now, and that's a different story than what we heard for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the foreseeable future, money is going to be cheap. But what's the reason why it's going to stay cheap? Because the Fed's worried about the global economy, because Governor Polos is worried about parts of our economy and our debt levels. So as people balance that out in their mind, they might say, well, I can go to the trough and get some more money. But the reason why it's so cheap is because these guys are worried it's about to go, you know, sour real fast. So it'll be interesting to see how people play with that equation in their own head when it comes to, you know, make borrowing money and buying real estate. I want to thank the two of you, of course, for coming on. And uh, it's always a pleasure. Romana, we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch, keep our eyes on the West. And um, thanks so much for joining us. And Greg, always, it's a great pleasure having you on. And um, that's kind of a wrap, folks, for the Real Estate Talk Triangle. Thank you. Thank you. Always great to be here. Wow, it's amazing how fast uh, the time goes, especially talking with Romana and Greg. Um, folks, don't forget, you can watch Greg Bennell. Uh He is with BNN Bloomberg and uh, on The Real Economy. And uh, it's every day. You don't want to miss him. Uh, great, great information. And, of course, Romana King, um, she's content director at Rizzolo, but she's also a author, editor, uh, real estate expert. You will see a lot of her uh, articles in Money Sense, so you don't want to miss out on those. So it's been uh, been a great week, of course, in real estate, as it always is. I want to thank Ian and Andre. They keep it simple for me every single week. I want to thank you for tuning in. And remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. Hey, don't forget our up-and-coming Simple Seminar. You want to register, go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register today. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.